turning back to our great God. Following Easter, we believe he's the lion and he is the lamb. And we sing to him this morning. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break. It's broken hearts to clay.
You can go ahead and take a seat right where you're at. Hey, this morning as we continue, I just want to let you know that next week we're going to be celebrating life change through baptism. And baptism is one of our favorite weekends that we get to do as a church. And so for a little bit more on that, we're going to go to our video from uh, Danny Cox at our Troy campus. Let's listen and watch in. In 2000, I had a transformative encounter with Jesus Christ, so much so that I came home from that Easter service, looked at my wife, and I said, the man that left today is not the man that stands in front of you. And it began this journey with Jesus. In fact, it was about a three or four year journey. And friends of mine used to say, hey, you you need to get baptized. You need to get baptized. But I felt like God was saying, no, wait, wait for your wife. And in 2004, my wife came to me and said, hey, you know that baptism thing? I want to do that with you. And we got baptized that summer. It was a beautiful ceremony out in Stony Creek. When we were coming home, my wife said to me, you know what? When we were coming out of the water, I felt like God gave me a vision. Now, if you know my wife, Amy, that's not how she speaks at all. And I said, oh, tell me what this vision is. And she said, you know when you're on a roller coaster and you get, you're in the seat and all of a sudden you start going up that hill, chink, chink, chink. And you start moving up that hill to go to the crest of the hill. She goes, that's the vision I had. And then I felt like God said to me, buckle up. You're about to go on the ride of your life. And that statement was one of the most true statements we had ever heard. Over the last 14 years, Amy and I have been on the ride of our life with Christ. And Kensington is holding their baptism service on April 14th and 15th. And if you're that person that feels like God is tugging you to him, then we're inviting you to be baptized. There's nothing magical in the water. But as you go down into the water, it washes your old self away. And as you come up, it's symbolic of God making you into a new creation. It's your public declaration of an inward reality. So come be with us. Come get baptized. And I know that you're going to have to buckle up and get ready for the ride of your life. Come join us. Well, good morning, everybody. Guys are awake today. My name's Bill. I want to welcome you out here to Kensington Church. We're so glad you're here today. And as Josh said and Danny just said, next week is one of our favorite weeks of the year. It's our baptism service. And so whether you were here last week for Easter and you made a spiritual decision to either follow Christ or, or kind of recommit your relationship with him, or whether you've been sitting here for weeks or months and you're going, man, I want to kind of take that next step in my faith. Next week here is that service for you. And so we want to partner with you with, about that. We can answer all the questions about baptism for you. Like, like what temperature is the water? That's what everybody asks, you know, I don't want it to be freezing. Uh, all the things that go along with that. All you need to do is talk to our team. You can connect with any of us staff members or our starting point team in the lobby. But we'd love to see you jump in next week, literally and figuratively, in what we're doing for our baptism service here at Kensington. So how many of you were here last week for Easter? few of you show of hands. Awesome. We had almost 2,000 people here last weekend from Good Friday through the end of Easter. And Kensington-wide, we had almost 30,000 people come and experience Easter. And we know what happened through that. Not only was it a great time for all of us, it was fun, it was engaging, it was enjoyable, but man, God changed lives. We had so many people across all of our campuses either recommit their life to Christ or kind of start that relationship with Him. And so we just want to celebrate that today. We want to thank you if you were involved in Easter in any way, shape, or form. It takes hundreds of volunteers to pull that off over weeks. And so we're so glad that you attended. Hopefully you brought somebody with you uh, and that you're continuing that relationship with them. But uh, we hope you'll jump in on our next kind of bigger event coming up at Christmas, which even may feel like today temperature wise, but is a long way away past winter or past summer in the winter. Uh, Ladies, I got something for you today. We have a special event going on 
Starting Monday night, uh, we have a, a kind of three-week small group experience going on at Northbrook Presbyterian in Birmingham, and it's with Sue Anderson. She's been familiar with, if you're familiar with her, she's been around Kensington for a while. She's a really gifted teacher, and she's doing a three-week kind of small group experience on listening and hearing and identity in Christ. And so Jenny Warns will be out in the lobby afterwards. There's a table. I know, Stacey, you'll be out there too, uh, in the table uh, talking about that. You can sign up. You can go online. But it's a three-week deal on Monday nights at 7, like that. That's it. And it's here in Birmingham. And so we really hope that you'll get plugged into that because it's a great opportunity. Meet other women, uh, get connected and grow in your faith. And so please talk to them about that for the next three weeks on April 9th, 16th and 23rd. Uh, So also coming up, we have this is a really exciting thing. It's the first time ever at Kensington we've done this. Uh, We have put together a whole conference around the idea of moving out into our community. And so maybe you're somebody here that you enjoy being here on Sundays, but really what gets you fired up is what happens on Monday through Saturday outside of the walls of the church. And so we put together this conference coming up to talk about what would it look like if the church got outside the walls of the building. So if you're at all like me, maybe you like coming down to Detroit's Eastern Market to grab some farm fresh food, hang out with some friends, check out the local art scene, and just soak up the culture of the city. But what if we're able to see a place like this as more than just a fun spot to hang? What if we actually saw this as the church? there's a good chance if you're watching this right now that there's a place just like this in your own life where God's already working and he's calling you to join him. It could be at where you work. It could be in your local school. It could be at your kids' sporting events. It could be anywhere. Dude, this is really good, man. Thank you. So on April 20th and 21st, we're hosting the Move Out Conference of the Troy Campus. This conference has got one idea in mind, to connect you to God's calling on your life. We want to help you develop a plan and see you move out in action, becoming the church, loving and serving the people that God has placed all around you. Coming here from author, speaker, and pastor of New Song Church in California, Dave Gibbons. What would the church look like if it's not contained on a piece of land? The CEO of the New York City Rescue Mission, Craig Mays. If there's a child that is homeless, you don't bring them in so that you can get them into heaven. You bring them in because they shouldn't be homeless. Pastor of Grace Midtown in Atlanta, Georgia, Matt Reynolds. We want to be a part of the kingdom that is building a culture that honors God and one another. Or are we just going to be a part of our own little kingdom, building our own little life? And founder of Kensington Church, Steve Andrews. People that are launching new initiatives, new dreams, new ideas, new ministries that that are going to change the way people live. We believe that you are the church, and it's time for us to move out, to register, Hit up kensingtonchurch.org slash move out. So we'll hope you join us. We hope you will join us at that Move Out conference coming up in a few weeks at Detroit campus. It is sure to be a great weekend. Well, today uh, we are starting a new series called Riding the Storm, and we're really excited about it. We've got a great service for you. But before we get there, we're going to make you stretch a little bit. Why don't you stand up with me? Uh, my challenge to you is learn two names in your section of the round of people that you sit with. Shake a few hands, say hello, and we'll continue on in a moment.
There's a golden rule, and that is to never underestimate the pain in this room right now. And so we just want to acknowledge that. And in this moment, if it's okay, I'm going to pray uh, just over us this morning and uh, as we kind of step deeper into this day. God, we love you so much. And we know so many in this place right now are going through a storm and it's been going for a while and they don't know when it's going to end. And so God, I pray even now for encouragement and hope, the hope that's ours in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray for those who are here today that are coming out of that season. I thank you for that deliverance that they've experienced, God. And I pray for those right now who may be heading into one that you would just prepare us, God. But thank you for the truth that no matter what we go through, no matter what we face, we are never, ever alone. That you are with us, that you never forsake us, that you never abandon us, and that nothing happens outside of your sight and your control. I pray, God, that we would find incredible peace today, even in the midst of whatever may be going on. I thank you that we can truly take heart. In Jesus' powerful name we ask it. Amen. Amen. We're so glad you're here. We're actually starting a four-week series today called Riding the Storm. And the idea we had for this was, was exactly what we prayed about. That idea that every single one of us, if we look at our lives, we could say there was either a season of our lives where we felt like the walls were just closing in, the sky had darkened, and we were in a pretty intense season of pain, suffering. We call it a storm. Or for some of us, maybe you're just coming through it. Or for others, you're like, I know that something's coming. You know, my, uh, for me personally, my dad's health is failing right now. Um, really, it's really getting bad. He's 76 years old. And so this was especially a heavy weekend for me, even as I got my heart ready to speak because he's struggling. I saw him this week and he just is not, he's not the same person and he's slipping. So I know for me, there's that sense of something foreboding. There's that sense of something about to happen. I don't know what it is, but each one of us can relate to one of those stages. And so we're going to take some time over these next four weeks to look at four moments from the life of the apostle Paul. And, uh, we're going to look at four stories in the book of Acts and we're going to start with the last one today. We're going to start with the famous shipwreck on the island of Malta, um, and we're going to start there, and then we're going to work our way back over the next several weeks. But some of the some of the things we're going to cover as we move through the series, the first one will be, where is God in the midst of my storm? Where is he? Does he see me? Does he know me? Or I just feel too weak, and I don't have the strength to stand as another week. Or I need a miracle as another week we're going to spend. And then we're also going to spend a week looking at, I am discouraged. What does it mean uh, about our need for encouragement when we go through discouraging times? So hopefully for yourselves, you guys find encouragement during the series. But also, if you know anyone in your life that you're like, wow, this person could definitely use one of these messages during this series. Either invite them to come or share our podcast with them, whatever. Just we would love to see them become encouraged through it. So 
So today, uh, as we as we get started, before we kind of dive in here, we're going to invite our ushers uh, to go ahead and come down here and receive our morning offering. And for those who are visiting today, please, you're our guests. Don't feel any pressure to give. But for those of you that consider Kensington Church to be uh, your church and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then we encourage you to give generously back to the one who's given everything that we have to us. So go ahead and, and receive that offering. So when I think about storms in my life, uh, my mind runs to one moment in particular. Some of you have heard this story before. Many of you have not. But on June 4th, 2009, my wife and I decided it was the day after our anniversary. And the day of our anniversary, I had something going on. So we couldn't go out that night. So we did the old next day uh, date night. And we were talking about what we should go do. And uh, we had just gone through a really difficult time. We're sort of smack dab in the middle of a nine-year journey of infertility. And it was heartbreaking. And in the beginning of our marriage, I was like, hey, I'm good with no kids here. This is, this is glorious life, you know, freedom. We traveled all the time. We could go see a movie at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday at night if we wanted to. Just all that spontaneity and freedom. And then as time went by, our desire for children grew stronger And the pain grew deeper as it was not happening and not happening. And then we started seeking out special doctors and all these other things. And debt began to mount even as attempts kept failing. And so for us on this one night, we had just gotten news a few weeks before that our latest attempt at having a baby failed again, expensively, tragically, heartbreakingly. And so we decided, let's go see a movie. And so a movie that had just opened that week was a movie called Up. Does anyone remember the movie Up? Unfortunately for me, I didn't realize what the actual plot was of the movie Up. I'm like, it's a Pixar movie. It's going to be awesome and have this cool, deeper message. And I didn't realize that the first few minutes of the film featured a couple's battle with losing a child. And all that I'm sitting in the theater holding my wife's hand as she began to shake and sob. And I, all I could think of was, God, how in the world did you let this happen? How could you allow us to be sitting in a theater to see this movie celebrating our anniversary? This is ridiculous. This is cruel. To me, emotionally, that was my rock bottom. It was like, enough is enough. We're, we're trying to get out and heal from our brokenness, and then we go see a movie that just digs right back into it. June 4th, 2009. I still remember how angry I was in that moment. If we look at the life of Paul... And look at his journey. There's a movie in theaters right now. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard it's pretty good uh, from some people that saw it. Um, But Paul is the name of a man who was a follower of Jesus Christ. He wasn't one of the original 12 disciples, but he had an encounter with Jesus and uh, considered himself to be an apostle. Church history considers him to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, which means someone who saw the risen Lord and was out preaching and teaching with some authority. And Paul wrote just about half of the New Testament that we have uh, by book count and very important figure in Christian history. And so for Paul, the book of Acts, a lot of Acts from about chapter eight on features Paul's impact on the church. Not exclusively, but a lot of it is dedicated to his missionary journeys and his preaching and his teaching. And so in Acts chapter 27, we find ourselves at the point, uh, Acts has 28 chapters in it, so we're to the end of the book, and Paul is on his way to Rome to stand before Caesar. 
He has been arrested and he has appealed to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, you could be heard by Caesar. Now, it would be like, you know, in America, you take your case to the Supreme Court. It might take you years to get your case heard at the Supreme Court, but it's going to happen eventually. And so Paul is on his way to Rome as a prisoner, escorted by soldiers to stand before Caesar. That's where we are in Acts chapter 27. And so Paul and his soldiers, they, I'll summarize the first few verses, then we'll dive into the story. But Paul's being escorted and they're taking this boat to get to here, then this boat to getting to here. And it's pre-orbits and pre-travelocity and Expedia, so they kind of had to make it work uh, on their own way. And so they got to a place and they found an Alexandrian grain ship, a large freighter that was going to make sort of the last voyage of the season before everyone shut down for winter because of the storms and the weather just wasn't a good time to travel. And so this would have been a, a ship that would have originated from Egypt and it was carrying wheat and grain and everything. And it was going to Italy. They were like, Hey, this, this, this is going where we need to go. Let's hop on board. And so soldiers had a way of just sort of making the fair not be a problem. They just sort of showed a sword and just pointed to a seal of Caesar and they were on that boat. And, uh, and so as they get ready to get on the boat, Paul pleads with them and says, listen, it's not a good idea. We shouldn't go. This is going to be a problem. We're going to lose all the cargo. We're going to lose all the men. We're all going to die. This is a very bad idea, guys. Trust me. In Acts 27, verse 11, you see that they didn't really seem to listen to Paul. It says, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. You think about that. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. He's asking the captain and the owner of the ship, what do you guys think? Versus the prisoner who maybe wants to delay his time in court a little bit more. So maybe Paul's credibility at this point wasn't very high. Like, maybe we should just wait here and not go. The centurion asked the owner of the ship and the captain what they thought. And they had different ideas. Verse 12, it says, And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. So pause there. So right away it's like, wow, Paul. You know, you, you, this is kind of disingenuous advice you gave us. Like we've got this nice calm wind. Boy, the, the nautical gods are shining upon them as they start out. I love her says they felt like they had obtained their purpose. Like, yes, we're going, we're going to beat the odds. We're going to beat the weather. Let's go. Let's do it. The things turned very quickly. Look at verse 14. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's lifeboat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. So think about that. 
it starts up and they're like, my goodness, we got to get this tackle overboard. We got to, they actually took rope. Someone got out and tied ropes around the ship to hold it together. This is how violent the storm was. The ship was going to break to pieces. They got the lifeboat up and secured on board because they felt like this might come in handy very quickly. And, and then it said they couldn't see the sun. They couldn't see the stars. They're throwing everything overboard. They're dropping anchors. In other words, you've got this image and I have this image. They are no longer in control of this journey. It just says they were being driven along. When the wind comes this way, they get pushed this way. When the wind comes this way, they get pushed that way. And they're just, can you imagine what their journey would look like if you drew it on a map? You know, my mind runs to, when I first heard this story, my mind runs to the idea that their journey would kind of have been like this. Just kind of like pushing back and forth and just complete chaos. They had no control, no ability to navigate whatsoever. They just got rid of everything they can get rid of and they hung on for dear life. And verse 20 says that they all abandoned hope. Everyone. So who else was on board? You've got soldiers, centurion. You've got sailors who do this for a living. You've got a pilot. You've got the ship's owner. You've got people that are not rookies. And everyone concluded, we are going to die. Who else was included in that all? Paul and Dr. Luke, who wrote this firsthand account as an eyewitness. Luke, played by Jim Caviezel, I believe, in the movie that's out right now. I I promise you, they aren't paying me to promote this film. It just feels kind of relevant. So they're on it. So even Paul and Luke have lost hope. Now you think about that, not just lost it, but abandoned it. Like it's done. We are going to die. What's significant about that is that Paul, and we're going to hear this in a couple weeks, this story, but Jesus came to Paul personally and encouraged him and said, you are going to Rome. You're going to make it. You're going to survive and you're going to stand before Caesar. So think about it. Paul was so discouraged by the wind and by the waves and by the violence and by everything that Paul was more willing to believe the storm than the promises of God. Boy, how true has that been of my life? That even though I know the promises of Jesus and what he's, what he's told me, what I read in his word, so often when that storm of life comes in, I look at the wind, I look at the waves, I can't see the sun, I feel like God's not there, I feel like he's not answering my prayer, I'm like, I feel alone, and I am very willing and have many times abandoned hope that this is ever going to work itself out. They had run out of hope. You think about your life, have you ever gotten to that point? Where that lump turns out to be stage four cancer. Or that job that you desperately need, your position was eliminated. Or you find out that a spouse or a parent has been cheating. Living in unfaithfulness and when they're confronted, they're not even remorseful, but defiant. Or you find out that someone's been hurting your child. When those moments happen, it's very, very understandable in some ways to feel hopeless, to feel discouraged, to feel crushed, to feel broken. We even look at Paul, one of the heroes in the Bible, and he said, it's not going to work out. In my journey with my wife during this season of infertility, I remember one particular moment where she looked over at me in the car and it was after one of these attempts had failed and she looked at me and she said, you know what? 
Maybe we're not supposed to have kids. Maybe God's plan for us is just to help parents raise their kids. We had done student ministry for years, and now we are young adults ministry and helping students and college students and young adults to kind of mature in their faith and come to Christ. And and I said, wow, are you serious? Like, do you really think that that could be true? I remember just the, the look of pain and resignation in her eyes where my wife, for the first time, I believe, had actually given up hope for children. If I look back, that was the moment that hope was abandoned because I was very quick to be like, eh, maybe it's not supposed to happen. And even though it was painful, I know for her it was much more painful. And I remember praying in that moment in our awkward car ride. God, do you hear this? God, where are you? Angela is giving up hope. We felt alone. Look at verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Nice, Paul, thanks. He basically stands up. It's in scripture. Told you so. Wow. Great timing, bud. But think about why would he say that? Not just to prove that he's right, but also to gain some credibility, right? These guys are like, wait, this guy told us not to go. Let's listen to what he has to say. Verse 22. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there'll be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. You can see the ship owner being like, oh, come on. That's not the news I was waiting for. Everyone, 275 guys are happy. One is not. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of God, to, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. I love that story. Saying, well, rescue's coming, but my goodness, we need to crash land somewhere because we're not going to make it out here anymore. We've got to find an island. No one had any idea where they were. No clue. No possible thought. And as this passage goes on, I'm going to summarize the next 20 verses. It says that for 14 days they were driven along and they saw neither the sun nor the stars. How did they navigate in the first century? I mean, I'm no sea captain, but I know that GPS thing that we have wasn't quite around for another 2,000 years or so. So if you don't have the stars to navigate, and oh, by the way, you've thrown over anchor, you've thrown over tackle, you aren't driving it. The sails are down. You're being driven along by the storm. And it said all these little mutinies start to sort of rise where... Where as they're starting to get closer to some sort of an island, they have no idea what island, they're dropping soundings, and the water's getting shallower and shallower, and the sailors are like, you know what, let's get that lifeboat, let's get in it, and let's get out of here, and leave these other guys to die. And Paul, somehow, sniffs it out, and he finds this insurance, and says, hey, just so you know, the sailors are going to take the lifeboat and leave us all to die. And so the soldiers ran over to the sailors and said, no way. So the sailors stay. And then the soldiers had an idea that they would just kill the prisoners 
so that they couldn't swim away or get away when this when the ship wrecked because the soldier according to roman custom if the prisoner that was under a soldier's custody escaped you faced their fate which was a great way to deter bribery because if a guy was facing execution and a soldier assigned to him is offered a lot of money and he takes it guess who gets executed and so they're like, hey, let's, let's just go ahead and save ourselves the trouble. Another big part of this is that most people in the ancient world did not know how to swim. That's another thing. They viewed the deep ancient waters, they viewed the deep ocean as a place where the underworld was very apparent. They believed in sea monsters and all these other myths. And so most guys didn't jump into the water and swim. And so these soldiers are thinking, I can't swim. What if I've, what if I've arrested, you know, Mark Spitz or wait, who's, who's the guy that won all the golds recently? Someone help me. There you go. Michael Phelps, Michigan man, right? I should have remembered that next service. I'll get it right. See, that's what happens. Michael Phelps. They're going, man, if I grab a guy who's the best swimmer in the ancient world and I can't stay up with him, I got my armor on, I'm hanging onto a board, there's no way. And so Paul finds out that the soldiers are going to kill him. And so the centurion stops the soldiers. So, I mean, can you imagine the tension on this boat? The sailors are trying to leave. The soldiers want to kill people. There's blood in the air and in the water. And Paul says, no one is going to die. Not a hair on your head is going to be harmed. But we've got to crash land. And so the ship hits a reef just outside the tiny island of Malta. Known now for their dogs. The Maltese are from that. I always picture Malta as an island just teeming with little white dogs. Our dog growing up's name was Buttons. And it was a little white Maltese. Then when Buttons passed away, my parents purchased a puppy and named it Muffin. And the next one was named Ruffles. So I don't, and they're all about this big. So my dog background is not very manly, I guess. So I picture all these little buttons just jumping around Malta. Anyway, so they crash land and it says that those who could swim, swam. And those who couldn't floated to shore on the destroyed pieces of this boat that had just shipwrecked. This massive freighter. Now, what's interesting is, I don't know how your mind works, but mine works this way. As I dove deeper into Malta and this shipwreck, I'd like to know, especially for some of you that are maybe more skeptical, I'd like to know, did this really happen? How do we know if this really happened? And so I did a little research, and as I did research for this message, I discovered that there was a diver by the name of Mark Gatt. And in around 2005, he was diving, and he discovered part of an anchor, the lead stock of a Roman anchor, first century anchor. And on this anchor, it had two names, and, and they found many pieces of anchors in this area. But on this particular anchor, they found embossed two names. One said Isis, not the same Isis, Isis and Serapis. And those were the names of two Egyptian gods at the time. Where was this boat originating from? Egypt, Alexandria. So there's a good chance that this archaeological find by this diver is legit. And we got to talk to him on camera and hear his thoughts on this shipwreck. Well, hey, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. This means a lot to us. We're super excited to talk to you today. Can you give us a sense of when you knew that this discovery might be from Paul's shipwreck on the island of Malta? 
When I've discovered the anchor and brought it up and uh, discovered the uh, inscriptions on it, because this is why this anchor is a bit unique, uh, it has two gods, uh, Egyptian gods embossed coming out of the lid on each side, Isis and Serapis. This is a, a replica of a Roman anchor. The lead stock at the top is what is discovered. So, in the case of the Isis Serapis anchor I, I, I found on the seabed, uh, this weighs one ton. The size of the anchors shows that it was a very, very big ship, and by Roman standards, and we have to remember that St. Paul was on a ship that carried 276 men. We have this in the Acts of the Apostles. A lot of scholars and archaeologists believe that Salina Bay would be the, the shipwreck site and that we have enough evidence now to prove that uh, it could have happened in, in that area. Can you give us an idea what is the significance of Paul and his journey and specifically this shipwreck to the people in the island of Malta? Can you give us a sense of what that means to you there? The shipwreck of St. Paul on Malta was when uh, Malta sort of found its heritage. First of all, you have to remember that this is a tiny island, just 17 miles long with, by 15 miles wide. We have 359 churches. That's more than one church a day. Uh, there's a church per square kilometer, which is less than a square mile. So you can imagine how densely populated, how Christianity was influenced uh, this country. When Paul came to Malta, it's not just Christianity that was made. It unified the country as a nation. One of my favorite parts of your story is that at some point the Pope himself got involved. Can you tell us what happened there? Pope Benedict immediately became very interested in it. He's a brilliant theologian, uh, and very few know that he also is a keen uh, archaeologist himself. A request from the Vatican that His Holiness would like to inspect this anchor. He said, is this coming from an Egyptian grain ship? And I remember telling him, Your Holiness, I'm, we can't say for sure, but there are the inscriptions. And I remember him touching my elbow and saying, yes, Isis. And I was speechless. <sighs> it's true, the Pope did read the, the reports, and he did have a personal interest, and he did really uh, ask to see uh, the anchor. Mark, there are a ton of skeptics out there and people who just aren't sure the Bible is true and really question that. How do you feel like this discovery would really help those who are skeptical and really aid in the validity of the Bible and particularly this story? Skeptics will say, you will always doubt the, uh, the Holy Bible. Um, what proofs do we have? When you weigh all the evidence, nothing compares to the artifacts that were found outside Salina Bay. And then when you compare those artifacts with what is written in the Acts of the Apostles by Luke, and what was found on land, it all fits like a glove. It all makes a lot and a lot of sense. And we can honestly say that we know more or less what happened, that what is written in the Acts of the Apostles is all true as the way Luke experienced it and the way he wrote it in the Acts of the Apostles. Mark, I can't imagine what it must have felt like to make this discovery personally. So help us understand, what has this meant to you and your personal faith journey as you made this unbelievable breakthrough? There's a lot to Paul. 
that, that uh, as such bringing Christianity to us who weren't from the chosen people and who brought Christianity to the rest of the world. And I got to admire Paul now more than uh, obviously before and uh, obviously finding something that proves that the Bible is real um, makes a difference to, in one's life. The discovery has definitely improved my my faith and uh, solidified, consolidated more what um, what what I've always believed in. Mark, we are so grateful for the time that you took to spend with us today, and we are so excited to see what happens with your documentary and the book that you've written. And we wish you all the best in the future. Thanks again for being with us. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to share the story on the other side of the world in such a big country when we're so tiny over here. Um, And God bless all the people who are hearing me. And God bless America and the Americans. Loved, enjoyed this, doing this very much. Thank you. I know what you're thinking when you're watching that. I have many leather-bound books, and my office must smell of rich mahogany and espresso, and all of that is correct. No. Isn't that amazing? We're able to track him down. He sat down with us and gave some validity. Can you imagine? Now, of course, it's not hand-signed by Paul, so we aren't 100% certain that that's it. But for those that, that struggle to believe the Bible or to see these stories as being true, it's amazing when moments like this happen. If you spend time in the Holy Lands, uh, if you come with us next year to man up uh, Holy Land, you see this stuff and you're just face-to-face with the reality that this stuff really took place. These, are, these stories are real. And so you think about Paul and you think about this shipwreck and the island of Malta is such a tiny little dot, one-tenth the size of Rhode Island. I mean, just tiny in the middle of the ocean. And he crash lands there. And it's amazing because God says you're going to be rescued. And if you're praying for a miraculous rescue, you're kind of thinking maybe the angels are going to show up and just get us off this boat. But no, his rescue, his miracle was to be shipwrecked and to crash and that boat sank and they had to swim to shore. You're thinking, okay, wow, amazing. The story's over. That's awesome. Here's the craziest part. He hasn't even hit rock bottom yet, in my humble opinion. Because look what happens as soon as he gets on shore to Malta in Acts chapter 28 and verse 3. It says, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire. So this is on the beach now. They're on the beach. Paul's trying to help people that are hurting, help them that are cold, get warm. He's trying to serve them. So when he gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. He got bit by a snake. I mean, can you imagine this? When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. My goodness. If I'm Paul, I'm like, what's next, God? Am I going to step in a landmine on the beach? Like, what is going on? This is unbelievable. I just survived a shipwreck, and I get bit by a poisonous viper. These were horrific snakes that lived on the island. If you got bit, it was time to, it was just over. You were done. They're waiting for him to either puff up and swell or just keel over and die. Those are not two of the options that you want if you get bit by a snake. And yet nothing happens to Paul. I look at this moment and I think, my goodness, you know, you look, you look at this time and it's like, my, how could he do any more? And yet, 
Something happened as a result of this extra added moment. Because all the people of Malta, we already know it's a small island. So everyone would have packed down to the beach to see this giant boat crash and all these prisoners and soldiers and sailors swimming on shore. This is quite a spectacle. So as they gathered around and look at verse 5. It says, he, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened, I love that, it just so happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put us, they put on board whatever we needed. I love this. It's like they land on the island. The snake bites them. He doesn't die, so now this prisoner that seemed cursed by the gods is now a god himself in their eyes. He has incredible credibility because of this moment that God allowed to happen. And what what happens? They say, hey, the mayor or the governor of Malta says, if this guy didn't die, come and see my dad. My dad is dying of fever and dysentery. They literally called it Malta fever, and it killed a lot of their population. It turned out later it's because the goats... We're eating and, and uh, going to the bathroom near their water supply. They found out later it was just this horrible thing that was going on. But, but you look at this. He was in a lot of pain. And so they take this prisoner to see the father of the governor. And what does he do? He prays for him and he heals him. And everyone on the island that was sick got in line and got healed. And we know that he preached the gospel. Why? Because of what Mark Gatt said to us. That this event started a history on Malta that's continued to this day where that island is known for this event. Churches were built. People came to Christ. It continues. That heritage continues to this day. And I look at that and I think about that. But not only was Paul in the middle of this storm, but God had a purpose for his pain. God had a purpose for this pain. God used Paul's painful journey to bring healing. And what I love about this story is it teaches us once and for all that God, God can redeem your pain when you use your story to help others. So, so here's to me a beautiful part of this story. I look at this story and I'm like, where was God for those 14 days that the, that the stars were covered and it was dark and they were nearly dead. For 14 days, they were pressed and pushed back and forth by winds. A chaotic journey. Most maps, if you go to Google and type in Paul's journey to Malta on a map, most maps draw that zigzag or something like that. Here's what's amazing. A nautical maritime researcher looked at the journey between Fair Havens, where it started, and Malta, where this journey ended. He determined the tides of that year, because they keep meticulous records. He determined the type of storm. He determined the size of the vessel, how many men were on board. All the factors were taken into account. And this guy incredulously said the only way that a boat could have made it from Fair Havens to Malta in 14 days is that it was a perfect straight line. 
It was as if it was directly navigated by a master captain. There was none of this. In other words, you've got the story where it seemed like God was distant. It seemed like God had nothing to do with it. In the midst of their pain and hopelessness, God was nowhere to be found. When in truth, the hand of God was actually directly guiding Paul and all of these prisoners exactly where he wanted them to be. The place where God was going to use their pain to heal others. That's the God we serve. A God who sees you in the midst of your pain and he's guiding and directing you exactly where he wants you to go. He's not distant. He's not disconnected. He's not disinterested. He sees you and his hand is on you, guiding you exactly to where he wants you to be. On the day that we went and saw that movie Up, my heart was broken. God, why would you let us do this? Why would you let us experience this? Why would you remind us of our darkness and our pain? We saw that movie on June 4th, 2009, and then I, I, we, we traveled a lot that summer. I went over to England and spent three weeks there studying for seminary. And when we came back, God opened the door for us to adopt our beautiful girl, Lily. I think I have a picture of the happy family here. That's our little chubby, glorious, beautiful little girl. Much later, I realized when I discovered the day we, we, we adopted her in August, September of 2009. What I found out was the day that we were sitting in that theater and I was upset at God and I was mad. Lily Rebecca Johnson was being born. She was born on June 4th, 2009. God had his hand on us. Had his hand on this little girl. And even though I couldn't see it, even though I didn't understand it, even though I was so mad and upset and I truly lost all hope, God was guiding this little girl towards us and guiding us toward her. And God had been preparing us and using our pain to be a part of her sweet, incredible story. And oh, by the way, she was going to have two sisters that would also be our little girls as well. You are not alone. In your pain, God sees it. God knows you and he loves you. And before you disconnect from this story and say, oh great, these are happy endings. These are miraculous stories. You don't understand what I'm going through. Look at Paul. He was delivered through a shipwreck where he nearly drowned, but he didn't. He gets on the shore and he's bit by a snake. Guess where Paul lived when he was on the island? When I reached out to Mark Gatt, the guy in the video, I was like, hey, can we come to Malta and hang out with you? That was my first idea for that video. It ended up being Skype, but, you know, aim high and end with that. But that was still great. He's like, hey, come to the island. You can hang out with me. I'll show you the shipwreck spot, and I'll take you to the grotto or the jail where Paul lived on the island. He was still in prison. So don't, dip, don't push back from this story and say, oh, well, God just rescued him and did all this stuff. Paul was still going through hard times, but God took Paul's pain and used it to redeem and to heal others. And he wants to do the same thing with us. He is there in your pain and he wants to redeem it. The more we share and point to God, the more he redeems our pain. You aren't alone. God sees you. He knows you and he loves you. We're going to do something right now. It's a little bit different. We're going to take a moment. And for some of you, the storm is all too real. You came in here today in the midst of a storm. What I want to say to you is, we're going to actually recreate a storm in this room. So I hope you brought your rain jackets. Just kidding. We're not doing that. But I want you just for the next minute or so, just close your eyes. 
See yourself in whatever storm you're in now or have been in. I want you to ask yourself, where is God? Where is Jesus during this storm? Take time to process what you've heard. After we're done with this this element and the songs, we have prayer down front. Please come and pray with us. We would love to walk with you through whatever journey, whatever storm you're in. But let's take this moment, just you, find yourself in this dark storm and ask, where is Jesus? Where is your hope?
my goodness, today has been so great, so powerful to see the lights go up at the end of that video and then to hear a message like that and see just God's divine provision for Paul. That same provision is the same for us. And so if you're someone who maybe your heart's been changed today or you're beginning to think a little differently and you'd like to talk with somebody or maybe you're someone who's just brought pain or a burden or something going on into this place, we want to meet with you and pray with you. Our team's going to be right down front after the service. If this is your first time here, I want to invite you out to the starting point where we've got a gift for you. Uh, We can answer any questions. So we'll see you guys next week for part two of Riding the Storm. Have a great week, everybody.